If you're following along in your Bibles, uh, turn to maybe what seems like an unusual section for Christmas, but when we look at it, it's really not. Titus 2, 11 to 14. We recently memorized this text, so it shouldn't be new to you. But I promise you this is a good text for thinking about the Incarnation. So I'm going to read Titus 2, 11 to 14, and then uh, we will look into it. I'm going to see if I can preach a two-hour sermon today. You know what? That's a preacher's trick. Now, no matter how long I preach, it'll be short because it wasn't two hours. Titus 2, 11 to 14. Look at this, these verses. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Thus far God's Word. Let's pray. Unless you build the house, Lord, the laborers labor in vain, so build the house. Lord, we pray that you would take your Word and do what we cannot do, what I cannot do. That your spirit would take your word and convert and sanctify your people. Lift high your son. Draw all kinds of people to yourself, young and old, every strata, Lord. May you be glorified. May we be edified. Help me to preach your word in the power of the spirit. Help us to hear it as the word of God with the appropriate honor do the Word of God. Leaning hard on the Spirit of God that we might be ministered to by You. So bless the preaching and the hearing of the Word. We ask for it and trust for it, knowing it to be Your will. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. We don't know a lot about Simeon. But we know a little about Simeon. And that comes from Luke 2, 29 to 32, if you're interested. But Simeon was an old man who had a promise from, from the Lord that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. 
And by the leading of the Spirit, being in the temple on the right day when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus in to have him circumcised according to the law and hearing that baby and seeing that baby, he took that baby up in his arms and he said this. He saw Jesus, the infant, and knew that this was the Lord's salvation. This was the long-promised and awaited for Messiah. This is the Lord who would save. And that's really what we're talking about today. And when I wish you a Merry Christmas, I'm wishing you a Merry Christ Day. A day of joy in Jesus. Nothing wrong with celebrating the Incarnation On the 25th of December, in fact, the early church, way before the Romans ever decided to make it a celebration of the sun god, don't read bad history, right? And don't get all... People get weird about Christmas, don't they? Oh gosh, this is a whole other sermon. It might be two hours. (laughs) And Reformed people get really weird sometimes. One of my friends tells me all the time there's no weird like Reformed weird. The pagans worship the sun on the 25th, so we can't worship Christ on the 25th. Hogwash. Pagans take a bath and brush their teeth. I hope you do too. It's a holy thing to do. But the church had... had, This might be interesting history for you. The church had uh, calculated the birth of Jesus down to December the 25th, way before that festival of the sun god was taking place. Way before. And it wasn't that the the Christians copied the pagans. The pagans were copying the Christians because the gospel was taken over in the Roman Empire. (laughs) People weren't coming to the pagan celebrations anymore because they were going to church. They're like, we got to do something about this. That's the end of that sermon. Read good history. It'll set you free from a lot of stuff, okay? There's a lot of weird conspiracy theory about Christmas that just is not so. Merry Christmas. What is the point of Christmas? Christ. And today, I wanted to talk about Christ. About Christ incarnation. And the fruit of that incarnation. And so I picked Titus 2.11 really for that first little section there in verse 11. Grace appeared. For the grace of God has appeared, has been manifested. Main point today, pretty simple. Grace appeared to redeem and purify a people for His possession who are zealous for Him. Look at the first point. Grace appeared to redeem us. Back in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Just pause a minute and look at those words. What happened when Jesus was incarnate? The grace of God appeared. The grace of God was manifested. What does grace mean? God's favor to those who deserve it. God's favor to those who earned it. 
It means God's favor toward the unworthy. God can be favor can give favor to the unworthy because his son is worthy. See, God's grace was was manifested or God's grace appeared in that Christ came to save us his enemies. That's what the Bible says. God justifies the wicked through faith in Christ. He came in in Romans chapter 5. We've seen this already in our study of Romans. That he came to save his enemies. Outside of Christ. Not trusting and resting in Christ. Counting on your own deeds to save you. I don't want to upset you on Christmas. But yes I do if it will turn you to Jesus. You're God's enemy. And you need Jesus. And that's why he came. To live for us, to die for us, to be raised, reign, and come again for us. His grace, God's grace, the grace planned in eternity past, promised all throughout the Old Testament, has appeared in Jesus Christ, His Son, with a grand and glorious purpose. Listen to this definition of grace, and we'll look at the confession briefly and we'll move on. The merciful loving kindness by which God exerted His holy influence upon souls. He turns us to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases us in faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles us to the exercise of Christian virtues. He brings us to faith. He keeps us in faith. He grows us. In His grace. He came to redeem us and we'll see later to purify us. But grace, think about that. When you think about Christ, grace manifest. Son of God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that it might be saved through Him, the Word says. We're condemned already. We don't need help with that. We need deliverance from it. We need a Savior 1689 Baptist Confession says this, Man having brought himself under the curse of the law by his fall, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fall into sin, taking us all with us, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. Wherein he, when I watch this, he freely offers unto sinners life and salvation by any Savior they choose. By Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. Requiring of them faith in Him that they may be saved. Trust in Him that they may be saved. And promises to, promising to give unto all those that are ordained to eternal life His Holy Spirit to make them willing and able to believe. See, grace has appeared. God's favor to the unworthy. He came to save those who were dead in sin, who couldn't respond to His call. Because of His covenant, His plan of redemption, grace has appeared. Grace has been made visible. Grace has come to save us. That was it, right? The promise there in in Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is what it means that grace appeared, a Savior was born. 
The Savior was born. The only one who is God and man. The only one who can reconcile God and man and bring us together. He was born. Look at this. Grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Now listen, that means for Jew and Gentile. Not just the Jews, but for Jew and Gentile. We see in Revelation 5 there will be a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around His throne. Now why did He come? Why did this grace appear? Well, it says bringing salvation. And then we're going to skip a bit and we're going to come back to some verses in a minute. But look down in the first part of verse 14. Grace has appeared bringing salvation for all people because Jesus has appeared and we see that in the text. Now watch this. First of all, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, from all sin. He gave Himself. He came. Grace appeared. Jesus gave Himself. And the Father gave the Son to redeem us. To redeem us. How? He come with a sack of money? No, He was the currency. He is the currency that required Because the soul that sins shall die. We all deserve death. We're under the curse of the law. If we haven't kept, listen to me, if we haven't kept the law perfectly in thought, word, and deed from cradle till now, we're under the curse of the law and need a Savior. Now, if you're you're in Christ, that's not true of you. But those who are not in Christ, who are still trying to be good enough and still trying to save themselves, I want you to be completely robbed of that notion today. Because look at what the text does not say. Jesus came so that we can redeem ourselves. Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the only Redeemer. That's another sermon. But He came through His life, death, burial, resurrection. He came to buy us back by paying the price for our sin. What does it mean to redeem? It means to liberate by payment of a ransom. And notice again, it is He who redeems. He redeems us, not the other way around. Some of you think you're not good enough. You're right, you're not. I hope all of you think you're not good enough. My faith is not strong enough. I've not done enough good stuff. I've not given enough. I've not... mm -hmm. My kids are a mess. Whatever it is, you don't don't have the responsibility to redeem yourself. He redeems you. We need to get that straight because a lot of bad teaching will put some of the weight of your redemption or all of the weight of your redemption on you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If you will be saved, it will be as a free gift because He came to purchase it for you. And even the faith and repentance that He requires of you, He grants as He brings you from death to life through this gospel that I'm preaching. He paid the penalty. He said on the cross before He came off the cross, it is finished. What? The penalty had been paid. That word literally, to tell us that, means paid in full. 
You don't have to pay for any of your sins. Well, you don't know what I've done, preacher. No, and I don't really need to. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified as a gift by His grace that is in Christ Jesus. We've seen that in Romans, right? Notice in the confession, what is required of you? Trust Him. Stop trying to trust yourself. Trust Him. Because He's the one who came to redeem us. He was born. He, he took on a true human nature. He came to do what we couldn't do. Romans 8.3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. See, when you think about and celebrate this baby being born, this incarnation of the Son of God, don't limit the story to that little surrounding there. And don't turn that stable into a palace. It wasn't. And listen, I don't know where we got the idea that it was a silent night. There's stuff blowing up all over the place. From the angels, from the shepherds running in, and Mary screaming as she's giving birth, I'm sure. Ladies who have done that will say, Amen. It wasn't a silent night, but in... As, as Jesus was being born, He was being born for a purpose. And the purpose He was born for is to redeem through His life, through His death, burial, resurrection. So the cross was on the horizon that night as this birth was being celebrated. He came to redeem us and to take our penalty. God the Father condemns sin in the flesh, it said in Romans 8.3. Whose flesh? His flesh. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Through faith and faith alone. Jesus paid our penalty. He was born to die. Christ, I mean, the, the summary in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Old Testament predicted it. Isaiah 53, other places that He was buried and that He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Again, Isaiah 53 and other places. That He appeared to over 500 people at one time. To the twelve, His gospel is sure because, listen to me, He was raised from the grave. And you can't disprove it. People have been trying for 2,000 years to disprove the resurrection. Nobody's gotten the gold star yet. Why? Because it happened. It happened. He died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the grave. And if you will be saved, it's just you receiving Him as your Savior, the free gift that He is, because He came to redeem us. He, so the first point is, grace appeared to redeem us. Are you trusting in Him? Number two, he didn't just stop with giving us a free ticket to heaven and a cabin in the corner of heaven. He doesn't justify and not sanctify. He doesn't, he doesn't save people and then not give them a heart for Him. I don't care what a preacher promised you. We, got, we have churches full of lost people who think they're going to heaven because they parroted a prayer and were promised by the preacher that they were going to heaven. You will not find that in the Word of God. 
What the Word of God calls us to is repentance and faith in Jesus. A turning from going our own way to going God's way and receiving Christ, trusting Him, loving Him because of His sacrifice and seeking in His strength to live for Him. That's the salvation that Christ purchases. Because you can see it right here. He gave Himself to redeem us, to pay our price, to redeem us from all lawlessness, to redeem us from the curse of the law, to save us, yeah. But look, it doesn't stop there. He also appeared, point two, grace appeared to purify us. Grace appeared to purify us. Look what it says. To purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Did you know that when Christ died, you're trusting in Jesus this morning, I hope. If not, repent, trust in Him this morning, okay? But did you know that one of the things that happened when Christ died is He purchased you? He didn't just pay for your sin. He purchased you. If you're trusting in Christ, you are His now. So if you haven't done it up till now, take the crown off your own head and put it on Jesus' head. Because if you know Him, you belong to Him. Look, at that's what it says. He not only came to redeem us, but to purify His people that will be zealous for good works. You're no longer yours, Christian. Especially in America. We're infected with this self. Pull us up by our bootstraps. Do our own thing. Call our own shots. We want Jesus to save us and forgive us, but we don't want Him telling us what to do. And if your heart is you don't want Jesus telling you what to do, it's probably because you don't know Him. Because He said on that day of judgment, people are going to stand before Him and say, we did this for you and this for you and this for you. And He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because you practice lawlessness. You catch it? Lawlessness is sin. John explains that for us. And this says He came not only to redeem us, but to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. So if you're trusting in Jesus, you're no longer His. You are His if you're in His grace. And now you're responsibly, and it, your responsibility, and it should be your joyful responsibility in grief when you fail, is to live for Him who lived for you, who died for you, who's been raised for you and reigning for you. See, this is a full-orbed grace that appeared. This is a full salvation that appeared. This is a salvation that goes to the heart. When we come to know Jesus, the Word says we get a new heart with new desires and longings. We grieve over sin, want to live for Him. Not that we're perfect, we're not glorified yet, but we're being sanctified, we're growing. We should be growing. If you're not growing, that's a bad sign. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died for all, that those who live might... Watch this. One of the reasons he died is that those who live, those who are trusting in him, those who are in Christ, might no longer live for themselves but for him. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to live for him. To live for him who for their sake died and was raised. How in the world do we live for him? Lord, we just come to church on Christmas and Easter and, 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 and we do the best we can. That's how we live for Him. Well, I know I'm preaching to the choir because y'all will hear more than that. 
No, but he tells us. Look at the verse. Look at verse 14. He, he, he's purifying for himself a people for his own possession. We talked about that. Now watch this. Who are zealous for good works. This is what the Spirit works in us if we know Jesus. He makes us zealous for good works. Being zealous is not a yawning devotion. I mean, it's, there's some passion to it, right? Being zealous is not coming to church and sleeping. Some of y'all needed to hear that. Not like I've ever done that. But we need to prepare. Zealous for what are good works? Things that I think is good? That just seems good to me. I'll just follow my heart. Well, that might work for Jiminy Cricket, but that is not Christian theology. Good works are works done for the glory of God out of love for God. They're done by the power of the Holy Spirit. They proceed from faith and are shaped by God's Word. Spirit empowered. God glorifying and enjoying. Word shaped works. He works in us a repentance that makes us that new heart produces in us a zeal for Christ. Christ said, if you love me, he wasn't being scowly faced, just stating a fact. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll be zealous for me. If you love me, you will follow me. And want to honor me and you will grieve when you don't. So really, zealousness for good works is really Christ-likeness, isn't it? Christ, no one more zealous for good works than Christ. The very embodiment of keeping the law of God. Right? He was the, the Word incarnate, the law incarnate. His zeal was for the Father. His zeal was for the house of God. Why do you think He made a whip out of cords and drove them out of the temple? We're not talking about a sissy here. This is the, the biggest man, the best man, the most man that ever lived. Because of his zeal for the house of God. His zeal for the worship of God. His zeal for the Father. So when we put on zeal for good works, we're putting on Christ-likeness, which requires that we put off. Remember, in Ephesians, the, the way to grow in grace is to put off and put on, Right? Right? You come home all dirty. You want to have some enjoyable fellowship with your wife. What you're going to have to do is take off some stuff and get cleaned up. And then, see, Paul represents growing in grace as putting off and putting on in Ephesians 5. Putting off sin and putting on righteousness and growing in that. The longer we live here. It's a, the Christian life is a life of repentance and faith growing in it. Look at a little bit, little bit of expansion in this text. Look at verse 12. Many people, excuse, many people abuse the grace of God by using it as a license to sin. I love sinning and God loves forgiving, so that's a good arrangement, right? Arrangement. No, no, no. Look, what, look what how, how Paul, this is Paul defining what he's talking about. This grace that appears, that redeems us. This grace that purifies us and makes us zealous for good works. Look at verse 12. Trains us. 
Grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So see, this is not something Jeff's making up. If we have the grace of God, it produces love for Jesus. And love for Jesus produces a turning from self and sin to a turning to Him, a love for Him that makes us want to live for Him and follow Him. Christmas is, a, is, is about being redeemed and purified. Being redeemed and growing on grace. Putting on Christ's likeness, which means we will be in the process of until we're glorified, until He returns or we pass from this life, we're going to be in the process of what verse 12 says, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and living self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age and growing in it. That's what it looks like to be zealous for good works. Meditate on these verses. Jesus does not redeem any that He does not purify. If you're not being purified, you finish the sentence. There's no justification without sanctification. There's no forgiveness and cleansing without clothing and empowering and change of heart so that we follow after Jesus. Are you following Christ? It's fun to celebrate Christmas. But are you living for Jesus the other 364 days a year? He doesn't redeem those He doesn't purify. Upright and godly lives even more than ever before are going to stick out in this darkness that we live in. And listen to me, young people, not everybody's going to love you if you follow Jesus. Don't make your ultimate priority being hip or cool or whatever y'all call it. We used to call it being cool. Sorry if I'm not keeping up with the lingo. Love Jesus. Expect rejection. Expect persecution. Expect hardship. We have to get over the fact that we want everybody to love us. Now, we want to be nice and respectable and all of it. We don't want to be jerks and hated for that reason. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to live with some rejection. But we will be light and salt as we live for the one who redeemed us and the one who is purifying for us. And our lives will look different. And when, we, when people ask us why or when they condemn us for why, we can tell them why. It's because grace has appeared. I have forgiveness, salvation, a new heart. See, grace also appeared to purify us. Last, it appeared. I'm giving you these things a little out of whack, but grace appeared to calm us. It appeared to calm us. Grace calms our fears, doesn't it? Legalism won't calm your fears. You having to be good enough to be accepted by God will not calm your fears. You'll never know if you've done enough. Let me finish that for you. You hadn't done enough. You never will. You can't. Rest in His grace. Look at verse 13. Part of this grace appearing and what it works in our hearts is a waiting. A patient waiting for our blessed hope. Look at that, verse 13. We're, we're redeemed, we're purified, so we're waiting in hope. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This one who was Lord in the manger, 
This one who was a baby, who was the humble, suffering servant of God, who lived in fulfillment of His law and thought, word, and deed, and died to pay the penalty for our sin, was raised, is reigning, He's coming again. But listen to me, when He comes again, it's not going to be like that. He's not coming as a little infant. He's coming as the conquering King that He is. And it'll be too late then. But those who trust Him... That's our hope. Come, Lord Jesus. Are you ready for that? Can you say that? Can you look up to glory and say, Come, Lord Jesus. To depart and be with Christ is far better, and for Him to come is far better than that. The one who came the first time, He's coming again as a conquering king. Repent now. Trust now. Let this be your first real Christmas if you don't know Jesus. Be saved now. But listen, those who trust Him know He's coming again for us. He's promised us. He even told us in this world you're going to have trouble. But He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome it for you. And after I'm done using you for my glory to get this gospel around this world, I'm coming back for you. He's coming again. Those who, those who trust Him know this present age is as bad as it's ever going to get for us. Yes, there are trials and griefs and struggles now, but now they must all work for us because Christ has been raised to make us like Him. And when He returns, listen to me, if you pass from this life before He returns, this will be true of your spirit. Your body will rest in the grave and wait the resurrection. But if He comes while we're here, then He sets up this, this, this permanently new heaven, new earth. But when He returns, no more tears of sadness. No death. No sickness. No pain. No suffering. No politics. No evil kings. All will be in the past in that age. So His return gives us hope. It calms us in the midst of our struggle. John said it this way for the believer. He said, enter into me. I'm almost done. I'm not going two hours, I promise you. 1 John 3, 1-3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us and that His grace appeared. That we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Grace appeared to calm us. We have future hope and a present help, all because Jesus was born to save us. Just a few wrap-up points of application. Listen to me, and I've hammered this a little bit today. The first, the first thing the message of Christmas tells you is that you cannot save yourself. Jesus would not have come to redeem us if we could redeem ourselves. The law was not given that we might keep it and redeem ourselves. Hopefully you've been paying attention as we've been studying that in Romans. All have sinned. All are under the curse of the law. All need a Savior. And grace has appeared. This Savior who redeems and purifies has come. You cannot save yourself. So turn and trust and rest in Him. 
Listen, the only place you can find peace of your soul, peace of soul and rest is through rolling your salvation off onto Jesus. It's through hoping in him and him alone. Because if he's done it for you, and he has, it is finished. This grace is being applied to us by the Spirit and bringing us to justification and in sanctifying us, and he will someday glorify us. But you don't care what your church tells you. You cannot save yourself. God's not going to look at your record and decide whether or not he accepts you. Because if you're in Jesus, Jesus' record is your record. So he'll be looking at Christ's record. But that's already taken place for those who have believed. We have been justified. Number two, the second thing the message of Christmas tells you is salvation is a free gift. Grace has appeared. God's kindness to the unworthy. If you will have salvation, you will have it as a free gift. You can't save yourself. You receive the gift. And it's really free to you. Scripture uses that language. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is a free gift. Have you received it? The third thing the message of Christmas tells you is that this broken world will be fixed. He will finish His Work. There's coming a day when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth. All will be peace in the Prince of Peace. Rest in the King who is coming. He's going to finish His work. He's, redemption, yes, is to save a people, but He's also saving the place for the people to live. This earth, there will be a new heaven's and a new earth someday. I know it's hard to imagine when you look out there. But look at me and listen to me. Today, right now, and forevermore, Jesus is winning. Jesus is winning. More people are coming to faith every day now than ever have before. And before too long, we'll be around His throne with those people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And when you get there, you can say, wow, that preacher was right. But you know what proves it? His resurrection. His resurrection proves it all to be true. He's going to finish His work. And then just the last thing, in our post-postmodern age when everybody's right and nobody's wrong, we don't want to say anybody's wrong. Especially young folks have this problem telling anybody they're wrong. But you know what? Somebody's wrong. Somebody's wrong. And one one of the other things that the resurrection proves for us, the fourth thing the message of Christmas tells you is that there's salvation in no one else. Peter said that. The Word says that. Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let me ask you this question. Why would you want another one? And this glorious, gracious, loving King who would live for you and die for you and be raised for you and reign for you and come again. His work in you is a work of grace. He came to redeem and purify you. So, by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, have you realized that Simeon was right? 
Have you realized that Simeon was right? That Jesus Christ is the Lord's salvation. Glory and salvation for Jew and Gentile found in this one. When he said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. We can die in peace if we've looked to Christ in faith. Just as he was looking at him that day. He said, Lord, now you're letting your servant die in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. I hope this Christmas day that your confidence for salvation is rested in this same salvation and this same Savior that Simeon held and was looking at, that grew up, that lived in fulfillment of all righteousness, died to pay the penalty for our sins, was raised the third day, is reigning and is coming again. See, grace has appeared in Jesus to redeem and purify a people for God's own possession who are zealous for Him. Let me end with a couple of verses of a hymn and two restatements of Scripture. But this is from a hymn called Praise the Savior. Man's work faileth, Christ availeth. He is all our righteousness. He, our Savior, has forever set us free from dire distress. Through His merit we inherit light and peace and happiness. So with the angels we say glory to God. In the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son to save us to deliver us from our darkness and our rebellion and our self-centered ways. To send your gospel into our lives, to bring conviction to our hearts that we might turn and trust in Christ. And thank you that Christ's salvation is a full, sufficient, and free salvation. You give yourself, Lord Jesus, to those who trust you. I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice will trust you. Many are trusting you now. Some are holding you at arm's length. Some are just outright rebelling against you. But according to your will, work repentance and faith, Lord. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, as we remember you and your, your birth, your death, your life in this dark world for us, your resurrection, all of it, that we will be willing to walk through this same veil of tears, this same valley of the shadow of death, trusting in your redemption and zealous for your glory, being light and salt for you. Lord, many of us will go be around even now, uh, lost family, and, and I just pray that for each of those people in our family who don't know you, 
for their salvation. Make it our joy to glorify you every day and to grow in it, to be quick to run to your throne of grace. Grace has appeared and it sits on a throne. You sit on a throne. And your throne for us who trust you is a throne of grace. Help us be quick and early to run and confess our sins, to embrace and believe and receive your forgiveness, to believe that we have the power of God, the same power of God that raised you from the dead, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit, to, to grow in living for you. Help us to love you because you have so loved us and to live ever more zealous for your glory that the good works that you have ordained might be worked out in us as we love and trust you. Lord, bless us, we pray, and we look to you for it. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.